You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to the two-year anniversary edition of Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon. It was indeed on this week in 2017 that Monica Palmer broadcast the very first Speaking of the Arts on KOPN. And I am delighted that two years later we are still going strong and my radio mentor is now a regular guest on the show. A huge thank you to Monica for bringing the idea of a dedicated art show to KOPN. You will always be the mother of Speaking of the Arts. African-American spirituals have been described as the first true American art form, a fusion of African rhythms, European melodies and Christian stories embodying a heritage of faith and struggle. Later in the show, international opera, jazz and gospel soprano Dr. Jolie Rock will be coming in along with singer Marcus Jarrell Ruff and the artistic director for the Odyssey Chamber music series Dr. Ayako Suruta to chat about their careers and a special concert taking place tonight. But for the first part of the show, I get to talk to two professional actors who flew into Columbia from New York and Chicago to perform at Stevens College. Joshua Clifton-Powell and Carl Herzog tread the boards across the country. Both have won awards. Joshua has an Emmy for collaborative works on a documentary soundtrack. Carl a Joseph Jefferson Award for theatre in the Chicago area. Joshua has sung the national anthem for the Kansas City Royals and the New York Yankees. And now they are both performing the role of potential father of the Bride in the fabulous production of Mamma Mia on stage at Stevens College Mecklenburg Theatre for just three more shows, one tonight and two tomorrow. Welcome to the show, Joshua and Carl. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. As we featured Mamma Mia on last week's show, I didn't really invite you over to talk about my favourite musical all over again, (laughs) Uh, but how much fun are you having with it? So much fun. It's just a great, good time, feel good show. Carl, is this your first time playing in Mamma Mia? It is. I'd never seen the theater show either. I'd only seen the movie. So it was fun to jump right in. Is this a show you think you want to do again? Absolutely. (laughs) I, I don't think I've ever had more fun doing the actual run of the show. It's so exciting seeing everyone run around and then, of course, the jumpsuits, not to spoil anything, but, oh, my God, so much fun. Do you get to take the jumpsuits home at the end? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I haven't asked about it. Usually I just take it. You know, I don't really talk about it. Yeah. They are. The jumpsuits that the fathers wear are, well, they all wear, are particularly elaborate and shiny and sparkly. Yeah, would I mean, would you wear it if you took it? I mean, would you just hang in your wardrobe of as a memento? Of course I would. <laughs> in, in New York All Chicago, kinds of you never know what you 70s wear. party you might end up at. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I would wear it at a party for any decade. <laughs> I'm sure you would. <laughs> and, and this isn't your first time, Joshua, playing in Mamma Mia. You... No, it's not. It's my second. But have you always been the same character in the past? No, I, I, this is the second role that I've done. I was Harry Bright the first time, and now I'm Sam Carmichael. So Harry Bright has an English accent. Do you want to just give me a little uh, flash? Oh, my you? goodness. <laughs> Put you on the on spot. On the spot. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll see as the interview goes on if I fall into it. You can just break into English at yes, some point. Yes, yes. So we have an incredibly vibrant theatre community in mid-Missouri with multiple college and community stages, plus professional theatre at the Lyceum Theatre in Ararock and our own Greenhouse Theatre Project here in Columbia. And we have a body of talented actors who often, I think, really could hold their own on much bigger metropolitan stages across the country. And as you are both out there being on those bigger stages, I am curious to find out more about what your acting life entails and what advice you would impart about your career choice. So, Carl, you graduated in 2012 from Southern Illinois University's drama department. What has been... (laughs) Oh, so has Mike Hagen, apparently. Really? Yes. (laughs) Not from the drama department, though. I think more like engineering or mathematics, Sagan. Nice. Um, So, Carl, what's been the biggest hurdle or adjustment you've had to make over the last seven years of moving from student to professional actor? Biggest adjustment. What's been the biggest surprise? Um, hmm, no big surprises. I'm really slow rolling it. You know, I'm, I'm taking my time. I really left SIU just wanting to work. And I knew that Chicago was a great place to get that work because, you know, it has, we're, we have over 60 shows going on at any time there. And a lot of it's non-union, you know. So I wasn't surprised to not really be getting paid very much. But uh, that's, that's, that's been a hurdle, I think. And for a lot of people that are unwilling to take, you know, survival jobs or work, whatever you have to do to, to get that. But I, I am setting my sights higher and I'm, I'm going to be joining the union soon. And uh, that means probably moving over to where this guy is actually in, in New York the Big Apple as they say what does it take to join the union just you pay some money or do you have to have earned your yeah, time you have to pay some money but uh, the main thing is points you get I think it's half a point for every week you're in rehearsal and then a point for every week that you're in the actual show of a union show and I've been in two of them and so the the next union show I get I could join the union if I wanted to because you get 20 if you have 25 points you can join now whereas before it used to be you had to get 50 and a lot of people defer and wait and then they join when they get the 50 points because you have to establish relationships with these people that you're wanting to work with in the equity world you can't just join the union and expect to get lots of jobs but it does come with a lot more benefits if you join the union you you can schedule auditions with these union companies instead of just going to cattle calls and hoping to be seen which I think is a big adjustment for me because I would go to these I just thought you know oh you know, I'll just go in and they'll see me and be like, oh, he's the best actor I've ever seen. <laughs> Book him. Put him on tour. You know, and it's not like that. It's because it has know. that gone for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even even as an EMC, which pushes me above on the list that I've been to the Goodman three times and never been seen. EMC, uh, is, uh, EMC is like I'm on the way. So it's okay. an equity membership candidate. You get, you know, if you have a certain amount of points, you get you get ahead of the people that don't have any points. But it's still. You know, you don't really have any rights. So, But if you're non-union, how do you even get into a union show to earn those points? <laughs> That's the trick, isn't That's it? That's the trick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, you you got you to gotta catch somebody's eye. All about who you know. Well, yeah. I mean, it is about who you know. You got to know the people by doing the work first, I think. You know, because I know, the, you know, I got this job. Courtney Krauss is an alum from Stevens College and I'd worked with him on three different shows and I don't know if they asked him to do it and he couldn't do it so they sent him he sent him my name or, or what happened but that's that's how I got this job so do you get points for this show no okay. this is not a union show this is this is a university now Joshua so. you are a union member I'm not oh you're not either no, no I've, he I've couldn't do this I've if he deferred was yeah exactly yeah. Oh, you can't be in a non-union exactly. show once it, you're union. Yes. Takes away 80% of the work and you're competing with, mm-hmm. you know, the top 5%. 
So it's good that we saw you now because we might not see you in <laughs> Maybe. <Columbia>. Yeah. <laughs> this is my last show. I'm retiring, actually. <laughs> so, Joshua, what's your route to the stage? Did you study drama, too? I did not, actually. I went to school for communications analysis. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I blinked, which is what? <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's the study of how we communicate with one another. Um, and it, it actually transferred really well into the theater because there's a lot of um, script work that you have to do to understand your character and understand the people that you're working with. So it, it truly, it all was brought together in the right way for me. So what was your first show? Like, did you act at college <clears throat> on the side and then... I, I did, I did. We actually didn't, in my... Um, undergraduate we didn't have a formal theater program so it was just you did theater because you enjoyed doing it and I did not think at the time that I would try and go professional I was fully embracing being an educator at the time which is I think how a lot of actors ultimately after they've had their stage career they go on to education exactly I've just kind of done it the opposite way right now (laughs) so do you think that is in your future to go back to education but maybe theater education rather than communication I believe so I had a I had some really good advice from a jazz professor um, at my undergraduate he sat down with me at a coffee shop and uh, he knew I was about to head out I had just resigned from teaching and he was like hey man you know (laughs) you're always going to be a teacher you're always going to teach you're always going to learn so so good luck, go do it, and just just be ready when the time comes. And I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah, 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 I will, I will, I'll do that, I'll do that. Full of your dreams. Sounds like a jazz professor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, man. (laughs) Go out there, enjoy enjoy being with them cats, so. So then you made a big move and you just jumped into the Big Apple. I mean, you're in New York. I did. Competition is fierce. Exactly, yeah, but it's something that I had always thought about. I got rooted out into into education, left and said, hey, if if I'm going to try it, if I'm going to do it, then why not just go and try it? So five years later, here I am. And at Stevens, they call you the man with a golden voice. Oh, my goodness. So you do, have an, you do have an incredible singing voice. But again, did you have any lessons for that? Or you just... I did. You... Before, before I jumped into musical theater, I went to Florida State University for opera voice. So it was very... I was headed in the opera direction. And then I made a hard turn into music theater. Did you sing in in the bath as a child? Like, did you know you had a good voice? <laughs> I <laughs> everyone always told me that I could sing. <laughs> everyone always told me that I could sing. Um, music and singing were always part of my growing up. I was a very ornery young man growing up, <laughs> so uh, to get me to calm down, my mom would always sing to me. And every time she did, I would find the zen of it all, and and it just stuck with me. And now you grew up in Kansas City. I did grow up in Kansas City. You want to give a City. shout out to any particular high school in Kansas City? Based in Linwood High School. <laughs> Go Bobcats. <laughs> and Carl, are you, are you more on the musical theatre side or more on the dramatical theatre side? Um, if you can I, say I've, had more, I've had more success in the music theatre realm, I guess. It, and, I, and I love singing, so I think I have more of an aptitude towards that. But... I also love doing Shakespeare, and I love doing straight plays. Been trying to work with, uh, well, I have been working with the Raven Theater a lot in Chicago, trying to get in with more of the straight plays. But uh, my resume is pretty packed with the musicals. <laughs> now, do you both do this full time, or do you have jobs on the side too? Because you can't make a living. Yeah, I'm a server at a restaurant. It's uh, Little Goat Diner. Shout out to them. <laughs> I've been there seven years. They're in the West Loop. Stephanie Izard is the celebrity chef there. She won Top Chef and oh, Iron yeah. Chef, and she's incredible really good food um and they 
they work with me, whatever I need. So it's it's a good it's a good gig. And in New York, are you also? Well, I've been as a I've been incredibly blessed the last two and a half years to be consistently working in theater. But when I first moved there, I started with a staffing agency, and most of what we do is catering. So cater to the stars and get to know people, rub shoulders with a lot of really really amazing people you just like dropping your card into their pocket the yeah whole yeah exactly <laughs> so for me the best actors are the ones where you know the actors vanish into their character you there's nothing left of the actor it's all the character carl talk a little bit about that process of internalizing a role and adapting their motivations becoming that person for me it's actually more about escape leaving myself behind and coming into whoever it is i'm playing and uh, it was fun. The, the last interview we did with Jennifer, actually, we were talking about this, how similar this character is to both of us, actually. But Bill Austin is this adventurer and traveler. And of course, that's sort of been my life as well, traveling from place to place. And so it's not so much leaving myself behind. It's sort of bringing myself into it. And again, just escaping into the, the beautiful world of wherever it is. And, and Greece is a pretty beautiful place. So <laughs> just embracing that and then bringing in whoever else is on stage with me and connecting. But in roles where you're not playing anybody who is anything like you, <laughs> Joshua, how, how do you find them? Like how much work goes into vanishing into the character? There's a little bit of work that goes into it. And maybe it's just the two of us, uh, but you keep saying vanishing and, and I just don't think it's, for the audience, we vanish. However, for us, we, we do not vanish. It truly is what Carl just said. Like you, you find how you can connect with that person. And, and I take a very representative view of it. I, I don't say, how can I vanish into them? I say, how can I represent them through me? And if it, during the show, um, an audience member looks up and says, wow, that is who I'm watching, not who I see in the program, then we've done our job. Like, it is a vanishment for, for the audience, but, but definitely not for us, I don't think. Yeah, I guess, it, I guess that's what I mean from as I'm sitting there. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen that often that you you just look at somebody who maybe you know because it's community theater and I know them and I think I can't see you any longer you have completely become that person yes. and and that's magical to mm -hmm. watch and I, and I think it's because that person took time and due diligence to decide what qualities can I embrace and bring into it I was talking to uh, Greenhouse Theatre, who is our local professional theatre, and, and the way that they prepare their actors for the roles that they're taking on. And one of my friends was in their production, and she said, you know, you practice and practice and practice to the point where you don't think about what your arms are doing or what your body's doing, because you have completely become that character. Yes. It's no longer a question of, where shall I put my arm when I'm mm -hmm. saying this? Because it, it does it automatically. And that <laughs> must take a huge amount of time mm -hmm. to get to that level. I, I take a little bit of time to decide, okay, how do they walk uh, from from one side of the stage to the other? How, how does this person walk? Or how do they sit down? How do they hold their cup of tea? And I mean, <laughs> if, that's, <laughs> if that's completely different than how you do it, that's a complete physical disappearance mm -hmm. into their character too. I mean, is that easy to do? Or do you just kind of walk back and forth across the room like, you know, every day? <laughs> walk back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a really good friend. Um, I worked with her many years ago now. She was on the, the first incarnation of Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And she said that one of her best memories was sitting in the audience waiting, waiting for the rehearsal to start. And I can't, I can't remember the, the woman at the time who played Belle. 
but but her memory is sitting in the audience watching this woman just go in and out of the cottage door on stage because it's supposed to be a house that she grew up in so how can you how can you feel an attachment with it if you don't do that a hundred times going in and out of that door carl what physical challenges have you had to adopt in your acting career Ooh, physical challenges i i love i love fight choreography um that's a physical challenge no <laughs> right. yeah i uh actually i just did a uh i'm doing a film in detroit it's a it's a feature action film it's called the contract and i play seven this contract killer and i had to do a uh we did the last time i went down there we did this crazy krav maga sequence and he hired this actual krav maga guy he was not an actor and so when you see my face in this film and i look terrified I'm actually terrified because <laughs> this guy he was not he was not a theater person he was just ready to fight so um I guess something like that would be a physical challenge um uh not seriously no <laughs> but definitely got the air knocked out of me and uh got you know nicked a couple of times so <laughs> so when you're looking for things you want to audition for what do you look for in a script what what is attractive to you in a script oh man i just i want to be taken in by it and especially with film that that's a good question because i'm able to kind of pick and choose right now what i what i do with theater if it's a broadway show i just trust that there's something in there that i'm going to be able to to pick out and use because it's the process to have a successful Broadway show is like, who am I to say this isn't good, you know, at this point? So anything that's anything in the musical theater world, I just go for and trust that I'll find something. And I always do because there's so many. And people like to spit on the Mamma Mia book. Um, and I, I, I know, I know. How dare they? Because it's, it's, it's so full of, there's so much heart. And, you know, I mean, uh, Jeffrey, who plays Sky, finds great emotional resonance in his part. And for Bill Austin, I mean, the, the before Take a Chance on Me, he's lost. He's really lost and confused. He doesn't know um, where he is. He doesn't know who he is. And this, this identity crisis that he has, it's, it's really fun to play. So you're always going to find wonderful stuff to relate to and resonate with. And that's what brings people in, I think, is when you're able to feel something yourself. Joshua, what do you look for? in a director competence (laughs) (laughs) how do you know that going in yeah well you usually don't always know that going in unless unless you can look up their resume and figure out a little bit a little bit about them but um if you're going in for the audition they're usually behind the table and the thing is it they they are watching and interviewing you just as much as you are watching and interviewing them if you don't feel that connection in the room then you have every right to turn the role down just as much as they have every right to extend the offer to you. Have you turned roles down? I have. Because of what you think is an incompetent director? Or? No, because I was offered a better role. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you've gone in to read for one role and then they've given you a better one. You yes. Think? Okay. So you both have the advantage of being white men. So there's a much greater abundance of roles available than for, say, a person of color or a woman over 50. But still... There is so many people going for jobs. How do you stand out in a field of other uber-talented, good-looking, experienced actors? I mean, how do, you, how do you make the director remember you? You know yourself. Yeah, just you have to, you have to be yourself because no one is you. 
you know um you have to trust in uh a big hot thing is is talking about your brand these days but it's true um and it's very helpful and that that would be i guess a word of advice and something that i've come upon just recently is to have three words very powerful words verbs uh that that describe you and your style and and what you want to uh bring to the table and then just trusting that the work is out there and the best is yet to come what are your three verbs my three verbs are (laughs) well they're not all they're not verbs uh uh, goofy joyful and fearless joshua do you have three words i do not this is this is a concept (laughs) that i just learned from Kara over here (laughs) yeah a lot of people maybe it's a chicago thing but a lot of people are putting that they'll they'll put out their headshots and then they'll put the three words and and it's helpful when you're taking headshots too to think of those things when you know you're what you're trying to emulate and uh it's helpful for me but there's there's so many little tricks and different things that people uh go after but really you just have yeah you have to know yourself know Mm -hmm. that you have it and be confident and trust yeah and and i think that's been a big adjustment for me too is is trying to get into the business side of things because i'm so much into just oh just let me play i'll do whatever i don't need money just like i just want to work just just give me the work that that is one of the hardest Um, pills to swallow but it's uh, it's show business for a reason but you have to you have to do the best for yourself and and when you're going up for roles that are paid more that's that that usually means that you're in a higher caliber of of talent in in a, a larger pond you know because these other people believe in themselves usually I mean, you can't really worry about anybody else at the same time. Cause sometimes you're in the room and you're like, why is this person here? But, um, yeah, you know, setting your sights higher as you go. What about other skills? I love reading actors' resumes because their version of working knowledge of Excel, intermediate HTML5, and QuickBooks accounting proficiency is things like six American and three British accents, juggling with melons, lightsaber stage combat, and Ukrainian folk dancing. Like, what, what, what do you have on your resume? That is the joke right now like not only do you have to sing dance and act but you got to dribble a basketball while playing an instrument like it's it's crazy right now i should put that on there i love basketball i noticed that jeffrey who plays sky he said that he could twirl a basketball on all five fingers so you can ask him to do that if you see him what what is the weirdest thing on your resume acting extra I, i i shuffle cards shuffle cards yeah the card dealer shuffle it's gotten me one job. <laughs> nice. Carl? I just recently put, I don't know if I can do it this morning, so. <clears throat> but I, I recently put on that I can talk to kittens, because um, I can <laughs> I can herd kittens. But I don't know if I can do it right now. Do you want to try? You with want, a, with you a kind of a meow right? sound. <laughs> that is too adorable. <laughs> <laughs> And kittens will actually, they'll be like, where's, what, where's this kit? You know, and so they'll, they'll flock to me. I, I do good cat sounds. If I, if I talk cat, they talk back, but I can't do the really? kitten. Do you do like the chatter or? There it is. Yeah. Every cat and kitten in Columbia right now. <laughs> Locking to K-O-P-M. Uh, <laughs> Before we close, tell us where you're both going next. Joshua, after Columbia, what's next for you? Uh, well, like I said earlier, I, I've been blessed to have uh, two and a half years on the road and working at regional houses. So uh, for for the next several months, I'm just going back to New York to enjoy the fruits of my labor, have the holidays, holidays at home, and just 
relax until after the new year. Nice. Kyle, what about you? Yeah, I will. I actually just turned down a, a holiday show for the same reason, but uh, I will be working at Porchlight, which I'm really excited about. Porchlight is a big equity company in Chicago. I'm doing a, uh, a Broadway review singing, sh- singing songs from, uh, I think, just 1956, but I think a lot of the 50s, Joey Joey, Frank Lesser, that kind of stuff. Well, thank you so much to my guests today, actors Joshua Clifton Powell and Carl Herzog. You can see them perform the roles of Sam and Bill in the Stevens College production of Mamma Mia at 7.30 tonight or tomorrow. Um, and there's also a matinee performance tomorrow at 2, although that is sold out. There are some tickets left for tonight and tomorrow's show and tickets you can get from the box office by calling 573-876-7199 or you can go to boxoffice at stevens.edu. Send them an email to see if there's any tickets available. And after tomorrow night, you'll have to catch up with Carl and Joshua in other parts of the country. Thank you so much much for being on the show. Thank you. You're listening to Speaking of the Arts at 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia. And after a short break, I'll be joined by Odyssey Chamber Music Series Artistic Director Ayako Suruta, International Opera Jazz and Gospel Soprano Dr. Jolie Rock and the fabulous bass baritone Marcus Jarrell Ruff. Do not wander off. Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. There is something of a delicious irony in the fact that as Roots and Blues rolls into town and Stevens Lake Park is transformed into a giant concert venue with thousands of people, just a mile up the road, there is a small concert tonight at First Baptist Church which focuses on the songs, composers, heritage and history of a musical genre without which there would be no Roots and Blues. Freedom Bound, The Evolution of the African-American Spiritual is presented by the Odyssey Chamber Music Series and features the internationally renowned voices of Dr. Jolie Rock-Brown and Marcus Jarrell Ruff. In a concert co-curated by Dr. Maya Gibson from the University of Missouri and Marcus Jarrell Ruff, the program delves into the rousing and storied tradition of the spiritual and the early black gospel tradition. Jolie Rock-Brown is a native New Yorker whose soaring soprano voice has been heard as a featured soloist as far afield as Australia's North Queensland, as well as across Europe. The great Dr Maya Angelou said of her that she sings with such passion and compassion. As another music critic wrote, she is as much at home soaring on opera arias and celestial hymns as she is getting down with funky blues and earthy jazz. Like Jolie, Marcus Jarrell Ruff is as at home with songs from the African-American tradition as he is with classical oratorio works. His voice has been described as acrobatic and full of soul, as having power, clarity and brilliant shades of colour. And joining both Marcus and Jolie in the studio is the pianist and fabulous artistic director for the Odyssey Chamber Music Series, Dr Ayako Suruta. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. As often happens on this show, I am more than a little awed by the collective talent sitting next to me. I frequently feel like I am in the company of greatness, especially around Marcus, who I am one day going to say I knew him before he got his EGOT. He's an Emmy, <laughs> Grammy, Oscar and Tony. Jolie is getting an EGOT also on your Life Girls list. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> who wouldn't? <laughs> Jolie, in doing my research for the show, I came across so many references to events, festivals, concerts, teaching appointments and awards that I wondered if maybe there were two Jolie Rock Browns and I was conflating two people. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure it is actually all you. So what does an average week look like for you? Craziness. 
Um, <laughs> this week, if I just talk about this week, last over the weekend, I was in Dallas presenting at the um, National Opera America and Texoma Nats National Association of Teachers of Singing Conference at Southern Methodist University. And then I came home, switched out bags, and got on a plane again Tuesday to come here. Yeah, yeah and when I get back, I'll be home and teach lessons in between for a few days and then I head to New Orleans. So it's it's quite a wonderfully exciting <laughs> journey and I get to use all of the gifts that God has given me and when I flew in, I got back, well, I drove back in from Dallas on Saturday. Sunday night, I had, Sunday morning I had church. Sunday evening I cut out a dress my gown that I'm actually wearing tonight, and I sewed it on Monday night after I taught all day. What? Yeah, and I beaded it. I did so put some beading on it while I was here on uh, what I was in MC. Oh, MCMO on Wednesday. So when I got back, I put some beading on it and finished it on Thursday morning. Yeah, so it's an interesting life. You have a lot of talents. (laughs) (laughs) And I try to use all of them. Is, Is one of your talents not needing any sleep? Well, I need some sleep, but yeah, kind of. I sleep about six hours a night at most, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm very energetic. And so a lot of times I find that when I get home, it takes me a while to calm down. So sewing or beading or reading um, helps me to calm down. Do you live in Texas now or do you live in Connecticut still? I live in Houston, Texas now. So you, you've completely moved your life down Absolutely. to Texas. Absolutely. Okay. But I still get called on in, in, in Connecticut. So I actually am going back up in um, November. I was there in June. Yeah. So I, I go up frequently throughout the year. Is there a direct flight? <laughs> there is a direct flight into New York. And so I quite always multitask. So I stop in New York, visit my mom and my grandmother, and then I drive up to Connecticut and come back. Yeah. Now, like Marcus, you started your classical training early in life, and you had the good fortune of having a mother that recognized your talent and got you started. So tell us about your recollections of those childhood years when music became your life. Oh, I can't even imagine music not being a part of my life. Um, at three, I started basically taking little lessons and singing, and I sang everywhere. Probably the thing I remember most until I was an adult and it was no longer socially appropriate was everywhere when I sang, literally. I would hum under my breath. I would sing when I was in high school, even at Music and Art High School in New York. The kids would yell from the sixth floor when I would walk into the staircase on the first floor, and I'd be singing all the way up to the sixth floor, and they'd be like, Jolie, shut up! You <laughs> You know, and so I literally sang all the time. I always carried a song in my heart, and I still do. I just subdue it because I started to be looked at weirdly when I got to be an adult. Like, nah, it's not appropriate. But she's also good to be sitting in a restaurant talking about a song she likes and to start singing the song in the restaurant. Yeah. It, it, not even like, oh, let me whisper this. You know this melody. And like, this is how it goes. Oh, here's a concert. And I feel sure you join in, Marcus. Well, you know, I'm, I'm background vocals at that point, so you know, just a little ooh and ah. 
Marcus, you had teachers and a family who encouraged you early in life. And we talked about that last time you were on your show. And, and your journey involved classical training early on. But I wondered if there was peer pressure from you know, at school to conform to more contemporary genres and how you dealt with that. I mean, it's unusual being a child and heading into the classical realm. Absolutely. Well, I think it's important to note that first, I met Jolie when I was 15. And so we've known each other for three years because I mean, no, we're kidding. We've known each other for about 17 years now. And she was the one, the gateway that got me into this realm of classical music. And one of the first pieces of information, advice she gave me when I went into college was people are going to blow smoke. Ignore it. Tune out all the mess. Stay true to what you want to do. And she was right. And all through my development as a young singer, people thought I should do this and maybe you should do that. And I always had to keep my head on straight and say, no, this is what I want. I know what path I want to take. And I think I've stuck to it pretty well. And it's been pretty successful so far. It's working out so far, but you are, so. you are only you know, 23 or something at this point. Exactly. <laughs> 23 plus 10. Oh. So am I. <laughs> 24 and a half. Right. <laughs> so what kind of smoke do people blow, Jolie? What, what was your uh, experience? Uh, well, one, you should only sing classical music. Don't sing gospel. Don't sing musical theater. Don't sing anything else. Or pick one type of music and stick with that. Well, I was brought up unusually in that at 10 years old, I started taking voice lessons privately. That's unusual. Usually you're around 14, 15 at the earliest. I was 10. And my teacher was at my church. So she taught me classical music and she taught me how to sing gospel music because she knew that I was going to continue to sing gospel because that was a part of my culture and a part of my church tradition. So she said, instead of telling you not to sing gospel music, I'm going to teach you how to sing it appropriately. So we're going to learn healthy vocal technique. You'll use it for your classical music. You use it for your gospel music and anything else that you choose to sing. And over my life, I have sung soca. I've done jazz, gospel, classical, musical theater, standard classics. I've done some country music, soul. I've sung lots of different styles. And I could sing true to that style, but still uphold a healthy technique so that 30, 40 years into singing, I can still sing and not have a, a vocal issue with damage to my voice. I think gone are the days of the one track singer. And we honored those people. I mean, people oh, like absolutely. Joan Sutherland and Beverly Sills and Leontine Price and Grace Bunbury and more that I'm forgetting. And Luther Vandross. Luther Vandross. You know, you and know. all the other, Stevie Wonder. And they came up in that path of, you know, this is the way I'm going to go. And it worked and it revitalized in many places, you know, Bel Canto, for example, and Motown and funk. But today's singer has to be versatile. And that's something that she has taught me. Mm -hmm. You have to be as good in the technique works on all genres and styles. The technique doesn't change. It was how we deliver it, how our affectation, etc., that we alter for each style. Do we talked last time when Marcus was on about his uh, uh, voice care. What kind of thing do you do to look after your voice? I talk a lot. Is that, is that good? <laughs> it's not. Because it causes overuse of the voice. And so when I have a performance coming up, I tend to pull myself back a lot. It took me a long time to realize that I also am a person that has a very high stamina. 
um, vocally and physically. And so you have to know your body. You have to know your physicality because that varies from person to person. And if you don't have the stamina, you may not be able to do what I do. So you have to know what your body can manage and work at that level. I try to get as much water, room temperature water in as possible. I carry water with me everywhere I go. I am making sure that I get my exercises in, my breathing exercises, because the voice is the breath. And so you want to make sure that that air is moving consistently and healthily and that the vocal folds come together, even though you can't necessarily feel that. You become aware of it as you become a more refined singer and you're, you're paying attention. But And you could hear the sound if there's breathiness instead of it being a nice, clear, consistent tone. So you can tell, ah, uh, vocal folds are not coming together. I need to change the air path. So, you know, there's, I'm very technical and uh, my training has really brought me to that understanding now. And I've trained more and, and read more than what my teachers ever told me to, because I needed to understand things for myself, not just what people wanted to tell me. So one thing I tell students is you don't have to wait for the teacher to teach you something. There are books, there's information out there. Read, 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 read. I would love to have some vocal training. I'm, I've always been very fascinated by listening to Margaret Thatcher. So mm-hmm. when she first started out as a member of parliament, she had quite a high voice. And over the years as she became prime minister, she had vocal lessons to train her to deepen her voice because nobody apparently likes a shrill female politician. And so, uh, and so you, you know, she learned this different way of speaking. And I think it'd be really fascinating to learn that, especially for radio. So I wish you lived here in town. Maybe Marcus can give me vocal lessons. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) I can turn you into a soprano. (laughs) I did actually study soprano with a private teacher for half a minute. (laughs) So, like you said, you both live in this wonderful Venn diagram where you're at the intersection of opera, gospel, jazz, musical theater. And as people of faith, I'm sure that your hearts must feel the fullest when you are in gospel mode. But as singers, what style of music makes your vocal core? per the most like what do you just love to disappear into I think for me I don't know if I can say them all but I, I think I find that moment in in all of it I, I mean I can find that moment in Wolfram's aria from Tannhäuser I'll do mine holder Abenstern I can find that moment in Praise His Holy Name by Keith Hampton I can find that moment in Love Walked In you know by the Gershwins it's about moments for me and when I'm singing and I'm connected to the text that I'm singing about or the vocal line does something that really fits my instrument well, I'm going to tap in in the same way that I would on a spiritual or gospel piece. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're singing correctly and your whole body is involved in it, it is a feeling like none other. It just is an amazing soaring experience. And so when it doesn't matter what style of music I'm singing, even if I'm just at home going, ooh, it just is an amazing feeling. And I don't think that there's any one style 
that I do better than the other. Though I have had people say to me, but I think it's based on their personal subjectivity, I love when you sing gospel, or, oh, I love when you do your opera more than anything else, or I love when you sing a really good musical theater piece. I think that that is more based on people's subjectivity of where they love to hear the timbre of my voice as opposed to where it really sounds best. Let's have a little musical interlude before we talk a little more about this evening's performance. Jolie, you released an album in 2014 called Rock of Ages, Hymns for the Soul, which is an infusion of jazz, gospel and classical. Tell us a little bit about the collection and then we'll listen to a clip from a track called Blessed Assurance. Ah, Sure. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2010 and um, it was triple negative breast cancer, which is known to be one of the more more dangerous forms um, if you can live past two years without recurrence, it's less likely that you will have recurrence, but it's very aggressive. And so I had gone through a two-year period and um, with lots of surgeries, And but what carried me through were hymns. From the first time I got diagnosed, I said, I started singing His Eyes on a Sparrow, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I was posting hymns on social media every day, several times a day. I surrender all, blessed assurance. The stories in those hymns helped to carry me through other people's experiences, basically, with trials and tribulations and things that they had to go through in life. And so when I finished my journey, the first project that I wanted to do. I had to ask myself, do I still want to focus on auditioning and get the voice back ready for auditions or what did I want to do and auditions for classical music? And I said, I just want to sing. I'm at this point in my life where I just want to sing. It does not matter what I sing. I'm not running and chasing anything. So I'm going to do Jolie Rock and I'm going to sing. And so I chose to do a tribute to my journey. Well, let's listen to Blessed Assurance.
is a clip from a track called Blessed Assurance from the album Rock of Ages, Hymns for the Soul by Jolie Rock Brown. And you can hear the whole album on Spotify. So let's talk about tonight's concert. Ayako, as always, you have put together a wonderful and varied season of shows. Tell us about tonight's concert. Well, tonight's concert is in a um, sequel from last year's performance that we did, which was called the... The Promised Land. Promise, that yes, promised that, land. that Promised Land, that's right. And the theme has always been the evolution of the African-American spiritual. And the sequel this year is titled The Freedom Bound. And I finally heard the whole dress rehearsal last night, and it's just full of joy. And there's a lot of connections that I think will bring the people together tonight. So I'm so really excited. The evening is a mixture of narration by Dr. Maya Gibson and music. And Marcus, as the co-curator, how did you condense 400 years of history into just four narrative segments. Well, I think we did the majority of the work last year because last year the biggest thing was we knew where to begin. We didn't know where to stop. And so we stopped right about 1950-ish. And so when the sequel came up, we said, let's continue that story because there's more to it, obviously. So we're picking up at the civil rights and we're running to 2019. But you know, I, I shared with some people last week. Some people uh, heard about the concert. And they said, oh, are you going to have Oh Happy Day on there? And I thought, crap, how did I forget that? So there's in no way is a comprehensive list at all. We have just, it's pieces that we really enjoyed, pieces that tell the story that we felt really connected to. But we left so much out because how do you get it all in? I mean, unless y'all want to sit for six hours and listen to us sing, which I don't think we could do that, but she could. Jolie can. But <laughs> Maybe that's for another season. <laughs> right, right, exactly. We'll just, th- and that's part of it, ultimately, is to make sure Ayako can bring us back. Right. <laughs> so what I say for this evening, what are four salient historical points you'd like people to leave with if they're going to remember four things from tonight's show? The influence of spirituals on protest music during the civil rights era classical music by African-American composers and how spirituals influenced that. The integral component of choral music from African-American composers with soloists and without, Mm. that is a huge part that we touched on last time, but we are really exploding this time. I mean, the choir is huge, and they are singing a lot. And then the last one is the influence of spirituals on gospel music. So what we hear today. Two of the names that I came across as influential in the resurgence of the spiritual in the latter part of the 20th century are Moses Hogan, who studied classical music in Vienna and at Juilliard, and Brazil Denard, who was a pianist and a music educator, choral director and a musical arranger. Tell us a little bit about how they influenced the spiritual and contemporary culture. Well, actually, Brazil Denard has a fantastic piece called Fare You Well, and that was actually on the list in the beginning, but it was another solo for me, and so we had to cut it. Um, so to keep it balanced, but maybe I'll program it at First Baptist if you want to come on a Sunday at 11.15, um, where the choir will be singing. Um, however, uh, so Brazil Denard was influential particularly because of his choral music, although he had solo compositions as well, but his choral works are, some of his acapella settings of spirituals are inventive. They were fresh, and at the time considered contemporary because of the use of polyrhythm and heavy syncopation, which which nowadays we look at and we say, oh, well, that's just, you know, par for the course. But at the time when he was composing it, it was like, whoa, he he was the 
I don't want to. Uh, he was the Brandon Boyd of that time. Of the that trailblazer. Time the trailblazer. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And we were all so saddened when Moses Hogan passed away at, well, I think, the age of 38. It was just so sad. Um, Moses Hogan's career up until that point was just phenomenal and continuing to grow. He had the Moses Hogan singers that traveled across the world, um, singing, pr- primarily singing spirituals, arrangements of choral spirituals, but he had also had his collection of solo spirituals that had come out um, and was published that is a part of the standard repertoire for students that sing spirituals today and for artists that sing spirituals. And so he touched the lives of so many people. Um, And though I had never met him, I felt like I knew him Mm -hmm. (laughs) because his music, I mean, you sing here's one, his arrangement of here's one and you just go, (laughs) you know, and yeah, I could go on and on about his music. Well, let's have a little, another little musical clip. And this is from a recording featuring the voice of Marcus with the group Chanticleer. Now, I know we played this last time you were on the show, but it gives me the shivers. <laughs> so I thought we'd play it again because it's just so awesome. The song is called <laughs> Sit Down Servant, Plenty Good Room and is from the live concert recording of Chanticleer's 2013-14 season opening concert. Sit down, The track entitled Sit Down Servant, Plenty Good Room by the Grammy award-winning a cappella group Chanticleer, featuring the voice of my guest today, Marcus Jarrell. Ruff, we're almost out of time, but Jolie, after tonight, what is next for you? 
I head to uh, Louisiana for some rest. I go to New Orleans <laughs> to hang out with girlfriends. I don't, I don't it's believe wonderful. you do rest. <laughs> well, we're going to be hanging out. So, But that's unusual for me. So it's good that I'm starting to program time for me to enjoy life in, in between. And then I go back to Texas and I'm teaching for a while. And Marcus, are we going to see you in the Wiz? You will not see me in the Wiz. Uh, I need a break. <laughs> I just did rack time. But I am getting ready to do a project out west, southwest, actually. You might know the author George R.R. R. Martin. Oh, yeah, I've uh, heard of him. There is a, he's got a, a national tour going on. So I'm going to sing as a part of this uh group of singers for this Game of Thrones national tour. It, it's a it's a run out for me, but I'll be there and, and back and it's I'm looking forward to it. So mm-hmm. it's really cool. Can I carry your suitcase? Yeah. <laughs> I only get a carry on this I mean it's that quick of a run out, I'm telling you. <laughs> My guests today have been Odyssey Chamber Music Series Artistic Director Ayaka Zuruta and singers Dr. Jolie Rock and Marcus Jarrell Ruff. Tonight's concert, Freedom Bound, The Evolution of the African-American Spiritual, curated by MU's Dr. Maya Gibson and featuring both Jolie and Marcus, plus pianist Dr. Brandon A. Boyd. That starts at 7 p.m. tonight at First Baptist Church. Tickets are $20 and you can buy them on the door, which opens at 6 p.m. Thank you so much, Ayako, Jolie and Marcus. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. You are listening to Speaking of the Arts. And before we hand the airwaves over to Terry Gross and Fresh Air, I have a list of arts events coming up that would like to find their way onto your calendars. Tonight is opening night for this year's Roots and Blues Festival at Stevens Lake Park. This year featuring 30 national, regional and local musicians. The gates open at 3.45 this afternoon with the first performance at 4.30. Closing acts tonight are John Prine and Maren Morris. At First Baptist Church, Odyssey Chamber Music Series presents the evolution of the African-American spiritual. With international opera, jazz and gospel soprano, Dr. Jolie Rock and Columbia's man with a golden bass baritone voice, Marcus Jarrell Ruff. The concert starts at 7pm and tickets are $20 on the door. In the theatre world, you only have three more chances to see Stevens College's outstanding production of the global hit Mamma Mia. The show starts at 7.30 tonight and tomorrow. Plus there is also a 2pm matinee tomorrow, although I do believe that matinee is sold out. And tickets are $18. At the Lyceum Theatre in Arrowrock, it's the closing weekend of their summer season and the final chance to see Swing Time Canteen. There are 2pm and 8pm performances today and tomorrow, plus a final 2pm matinee on Sunday. And tickets are $42. At the MU Theatre Department's Studio 4 Black Box Theatre, two experimental and dreamlike plays by Adrienne Kennedy play back-to-back. Funny House of a Negro and a Movie Star has to star in black and white. Explore the divide between black and white in America through the eyes of a young African-American woman. Woman. Evening performances start at 7.30, plus there is a 2pm matinee on Sunday. Tickets are $17. Tomorrow morning, Roots and Blues gates open at 11.45am and the Saturday's programme includes Nick Lowe with Lost Straight Jackets, Ben Harper and the Innocent Criminals and the Mavericks. Plus, there is an after party at Rose Music Hall starting at 10.30pm. At the Missouri Theatre tomorrow at 5pm, there is a concert of All Men Allowed featuring men from Columbia Chorale, Columbia Youth Choirs and the Men of MU Choirs. And tickets are $5. At Skylark Bookshop, they are hosting two authors with insights on how to reduce racism and bias 
bias in our criminal justice system. Police officer Nakia Jones and retired San Francisco Bay Area judge Lisa Perlman will be giving that talk. You can hear them from 6 till 7.30 tomorrow evening. At Talking Horse Theatre, Girl Rilla Theatre are back on stage for one night only with a Meg Phillips Crespi adapted dramatic reading of the play Othello. The show starts at 7.30 and is free to attend thanks to support from the MU Division of Inclusion, Diversity and Equity. And at the Blue Note, the Como Comedy Club presents comedian Chris Porter tomorrow night, a finalist from season four of NBC's Last Comic Standing. Chris is doing two shows at 7 and 9.30pm and balcony tickets are $20. Sunday is the third and final day of this year's Roots and Blues. Gates open at 11.45 with the January Lanterns opening the day at 12.15. Sunday's programme includes the new pornographers, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit and Mandolin Orange. Plus there's a 9pm after party at Rose Music Hall featuring Loose Loose, King Benny and the Artisanals. Monday evening, the Boone History and Culture Centre continues its Blind Boone Piano Concert Series with vocalists Michelle Curry and Maddie Mertz performing an evening of Broadway and light opera in a show called Centre Stage. The concert starts at 7pm and tickets are $20. Wednesday lunchtime, Skylark Bookshop holds its weekly lit lunch from 12.15 to 12.45 this week with a discussion on true crime books. Next Thursday, October the 3rd, is the final event of this year's Daniel Boone Regional Library's One Read Programme with its runner-up book discussion. And they'll have MU Associate Professor of English, Dr. John Evelev, might have pronounced that wrong, Apologies. Together with a skilled bread maker who will talk about Robin Sloan's book, Sourdough. And that discussion will be in the children's program room from 12 till 1. Next Thursday, Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band play in Razoo Arena at 7.30 and tickets start at $75. And finally, next Thursday, funk rock band Here Come the Mummies return to the Blue Note with Cat Daddy's Funky Fuzz Bunker Band. The show starts at 8.30 and $25 gets you in the door. You have been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5. FM KOPN Columbia with me, Diana Moxon, and my good friend and sound engineer, Mike Hagan. We'll be back next week with more news, views, and interviews on the arts in mid Missouri. Stay arty, Columbia.